0: Welcome to In the Lap of the Pods Queen podcast. I'm David, and with me are two tossers that will never make it. It's Joe and Paul. Fact. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and if you don't get that joke, watch Magic Ears. Well, we hope you're all doing well out there, and I hope that this episode will help brighten up your day, if that's what's required, because it's a, it's a big one. Uh, very soon, we are going to be speaking to Mr. Peter Hintz, So Peter has given up his time to talk to us and a bit nervous maybe, but definitely excited about this. This man was there for almost the whole of Queen's touring life. Uh, He was with the band from 1974 to 1986 as part of Queen's road crew, but he wasn't just part of the road crew. To Queen fans, he is without doubt the most recognisable person in Queen's road crew. Um, Peter was a roadie for both Freddie and John who both trusted him enormously, and for that, the respect the man has gained from the fans is, is undisputed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter's book, Queen Unseen, is a must-read for Queen fans and discusses his up-close experiences with the band and, of course, life on the road. He is, though very respectful of the band, never betraying any confidences, even to this day when the search for a sensational story regarding Queen, and in particular Freddie, has never been greater with all that said peter tells his story as honestly as he can in his book it's highly recommended if you don't already own it so go and check that out peter is also a highly published photographer he's worked with such heavyweights as coca-cola and british airways his images of the band though are incredible if you go to peterhins.co.uk you'll see examples of his work and have the chance to purchase some of these beautiful prints I think Paul, you already have have done that, haven't you? I've I've purchased one. It's
1: absolutely amazing. And what is it? It's um it's a still from the We Will Rock You video. So the one in Roger's Garden when they're all freezing in the snow. Yeah, Next and one. it's a kind of ensemble shot of the the whole band. Uh, just
0: brilliant, great, Incredible. great shot. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So as well for this episode, we asked you to help uh, raise some money, which you duly did. So thank you enormously for that. Uh, you have raised over £700 for Macmillan Cancer Support and Cancer Research UK. So incredible stuff. Thank you. And we're going to leave the, the Macmillan page open for a little while uh, longer. So if you enjoy this episode and haven't donated already, please do so if you can. And you can do that at justgiving.com forward slash Mac All right. So go and check that out if you can. Also, we will hear from four of the highest donators who have questions for Peter. I kind of feel a little bit bad about that because, you know, all the donations are really cool and important and all that. But, um, you know, however big or small, um, we'd obviously like all of you to ask him a question. But to be honest, we want Peter mostly to ourselves. So Mm -hmm. sorry about that, man. Just the way it is. So as ever, make sure you subscribe. Leave us a review where you get your podcasts. Talk to us on Twitter at Lap Pods and get some more stuff on the website at lappods.scott. Okay, it's time, lads. Let's do it. Indeed. Let's
2: do it. Hi, Peter. Hi guys. Can Hello. Can me, me? Hello. Hello. Can you hear me, see me? Yeah, I'm doing clear. Ah, good. Right. Yeah, technology. Right.
0: <laughs> it's, um... it's all working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all
2: got good faces for radio.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Absolutely.
2: Indeed.
0: <laughs> so we'll start right at the the beginning, um, if that's okay, Peter. Um, you'd worked with Mott the Hoople and David Boy before Queen. Um, could you tell us about that period and, and ultimately how you ended up working working with Queen?
2: Yeah, those were my first jobs in the music business back in 1973. And um I'd come to London to hang out with my cousin who worked for David Bowie and um, the head of the road crew, the sound engineer, uh, he was staying in the house and um, he said, uh, you, uh, you know a bit about guitars, don't you? And I went, mm, yeah, yeah, which was mm-hmm. true. He said, Marshall amplifiers? Yeah, which was half true. He said, you <laughs> can drive? Oh, yeah, I can definitely drive. That was mm-hmm. totally true. And um, you got a clean license, and that was half true. But
1: anyway,
2: <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I wasn't banned. Anyway, um, and then he said, uh, well, you know, do you fancy coming out on, uh, on tour with us and helping out? And it was like, well, yeah, all right, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that was it, really. Um, and you kind of learned as you went along. I mean, I was obviously very young, 17, 18, and um, uh, the rookie. And you did all the, you know, menial tasks, but it's like anything, like being an apprentice, you know, in a factory, mm-hmm. you get yeah. to do, or an apprentice bricklayer or whatever, you know, they play all the tricks on you, or the jokes on you. and
0: uh, mm-hmm. Tartan yeah. paint and things like that, and the long stand and all that. <laughs> Those
2: type of things, yeah. yeah. And, um, I, but I mean, you know, it was jumping in the deep end and uh, it was, well, I mean, it was just fantastic. I mean, it was like, well... I'd always loved music ever since I can remember. So suddenly, you know, being, uh, I don't know, part of it, um, because, I mean, I wasn't good enough to be a musician and I wasn't good enough to be a footballer. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll I'll give this a go. And um, then it worked out in the end. So it was just great fun. It was just one huge adventure and uh, obviously working with, you know, big bands like that, um, kind of sharpened you up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. It's like, uh, well, you better learn quickly, you know. Mm-hmm. But the other guys were great and they helped me and mentored me and could see I was willing to work hard and not be too cheeky and whatever. And, um, yeah, and I always found throughout my career and throughout life is the harder you work, the luckier you get. So, mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, just how it went. And um, obviously David had the connection with Mott the Hoopal because he wrote All the Young Dudes. Mm -hmm. And Mott um, were, uh, well, they were just a great rock and roll band. I mean, they weren't at the level of David. um, But they were just a great live band and had that audience kind of participation thing, a lot of excitement. And it was during rehearsals for the Mock Tour um, in November 73. That's when Queen showed up. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. You know, some bloke called Fred in a a sort of white satin dress prancing (laughs) around, everyone thinking, who the fuck is this bloke? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that was the general consensus of everybody was that, Mm -hmm. Queen came along. They weren't with CBS, which was Mott's record company, and they weren't with the same management company. So it was unusual back then. You normally had someone from the same record company or management Mm. or there was something. Mm. But I think EMI wanted to push Queen, and I guess they paid to have them on the tour. That was often the way that happened. Um, And um, from day one, you know, it was like, well, these guys do take it quite seriously. I mean, yeah. yeah. rehearsals in an old, cold, uh, ex-cinema down in Fulham, uh, owned by Emerson, Lake and Palmer, used to rent it out to bands called Manticore. And um, all the seats had been stripped out of the stalls and the stage was there for the band and and, uh, you could get a light, what was a lighting rig then? And it was very basic, and there was no heating. So we had one of these great big gas heaters, those big propane gas cylinders, and and it wasn't exactly comfortable, but yet Queen come in, you know, dressed in their stage clothes and and (laughs) ready to go for it, and it was just extraordinary, you know. Everyone else had got scarves and hats on and big (laughs) coats. And and I think, you know, then it was a case of, uh, well... These guys, are they're pushing it a bit too far. You know, it's like, you know, you're the support act. Don't forget. Yeah,
0: them. yeah, just uh, keep them in their yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They,
2: uh, yeah, they were demanding. I mean, on the tour, they certainly, um, you know, pushed that a little bit more, a bit longer on the set, a few more lights, whatever. Yeah. And they, you know, they had, a uh, you could say, they had a sense of arrogance about them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could temper that with ambition rather than arrogance yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah confidence but um and that never changed by the way that never yeah changed. yeah because that, that was it was
0: life. it brian it was it brian approached you or, or someone approached you to be brian's tech was that is that correct uh,
2: Peter? uh that was after that was um around sheer heart attack time Ah, yeah.
0: okay right right so
2: that was later um mm. but um no i mean i was working for Mott then and um Uh, And then after that Queen tour, I went back working with Mick Ronson and Mm -hmm. a little bit with David because um, uh, David or his management had sold all the equipment to the sound engineer and he had a a rental company called Ground Control, as in Ground Control, (laughs) the major Mm -hmm. Yep. And we hired out to uh, the bands that were kind of around David. I mean, Lou Reed, um, Mop the Hoople. When Mick Ronson went uh, solo, um, mm-hmm. rented the PA to him, and I went mm-hmm. out, looked after his guitars and stuff again, and Trevor's stuff. And um, so there were quite sort of, if you like, little family units who uh, of little, you know, groups of bands. Um, and so, yeah, we helped David out when he went into the studio. And then when Mott went out, went back out with Mott, and then mm-hmm. And then Mott eventually um, uh, split up. I mean, because Mick Ronson joined Mott after yeah. Hunter Ronson. And then he, sorry, he joined Mott. And then when Mott split up, it became Hunter, Hunter Ronson. Ronson. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Mick Ronson, probably the best guitar player I've ever heard. I mean, just stunning. Um,
0: yeah. Hmm. Such a lovely guy as well, isn't it? he, Peter? Totally just the
2: nicest. You couldn't yeah. ask for a nicer boss, you know, or just uh-huh. a nicer person to be around. Um, yeah. Really down to earth, you know, working class lad from Hull, and yeah, um, yeah just a, a true privilege to have known him and worked with him, um, yeah. and and just the talent, you know. <laughs> uh, no, um, well. There were a few gizmos back then, but, I mean, you know, his uh, ability on, on a Les Paul was just yeah. Yeah. astonishing. I mean, obviously, we all know Brian is a phenomenal guitar player, um, but Brian likes a lot of all the technical stuff, mm-hmm. like in the early days, the, the repeating echoes and the phaser yeah. and treble boosters and the guitar he built, and which is all part of him and his sound, and he's, yeah. you know, it is unique and phenomenal. Um, so it's not to say one is better than the other. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, Mick was was just uh, all round just fantastic.
3: Yeah. Right, talent.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And died way, way too long.
3: Yeah, tragic. I had, absolutely.
2: I had liver cancer. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, David's gone, Trevor Boulder. I think Woody is the only spider left now. To,
0: yeah, um, yeah. yeah.
2: But anyway, after Mott finally split up, um, it was like, well, I suppose we need a job, you know. And um, Queen were looking for a new road crew. And as you mentioned, I'd been offered a job to do Brian's stuff on the tour before. Um, but uh, then I think his roadie had quit over, I don't know, uh, five quid or, you know, a cup <laughs> of tea. I had no idea. But anyway, um, then by the time I got in to go and have the interview, his roadie had decided to come back. But there was a job doing drums and piano. And I wasn't a drum roadie. Um, yeah, I could have done the keyboards, but drums, they're like big Meccano sets, you know. And yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just not a drum roadie. And so um, I passed. And then so a little time later, uh, they wanted a whole new crew mm-hmm. and they wanted a drum roadie. So Phil, who was Mott's drum roadie, did that. And then uh, Richie, who was the guitar roadie for Mott, did Brian's stuff. And then I took over doing John and Fred, looking over stage mm-hmm. right because Fred's piano, John were on stage right. And um, yeah, and uh, it was a job, you know. It was like, well, this is it. Um, it will pay you the bills, you know. And it was 40 quid a week. So, hey, you know, this is yeah. it's all right every week, you
1: know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and for diem when you're on tour. So, yeah, mix it up. Yeah. It was just a job. And people say, you know, oh, you must have been a huge Queen fan. And it was like, well, no, I mean, Mm -hmm. we knew them because of the mock tour, but I mean, we didn't know half the songs. I mean, I think we had to get the albums or borrow the albums and, you know, kind of what's White Queen? Oh, oh, that song, right? You know, I mean, yeah. I knew a few things, but I mean, didn't really know them well. Mm -hmm. So that we, you know, we don't look like Muppets when it comes to the room. (laughs) And, uh, you know, when Fred says, oh dear, we're going to do flick of the wrist now. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Um, So we had to kind of brush up on it a little bit.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, But it was, it was a job. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean. It's like uh, if you're a bricklayer, you know, do you say, "Well, were you a fan of bricklaying before you, you know?"
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, are absolutely.
2: you a fan of accountancy? Yeah. Um, so, no, I mean, I was a fan of music, um, yeah, yeah. but that was what I did for a living. Yeah. You know, I was a roadie for bands.
0: So I suppose, Peter. Then, that given that you um, obviously, you know, you know, you, you mentioned that even in your book that you weren't a Queen fan. You know, you know, you, you liked certain aspects of the music and certain albums and songs yeah. and things like that. What, what was what was the, the music that turned you on at the time then?
2: Uh, well, funny enough, um, when that on that first Queen tour, and we used to listen to them occasionally. You know, and I remember sitting out the sound desk with John Harris, who was there their head of road crew, and he was their sound engineer then. And, um, yeah, and listened to the show. And I do remember, more than anything, they used to play Hangman back in those days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. really liked that. And yeah. I think I liked it because it was quite zeppelin It was quite yeah. heavy. <laughs> and um, as you probably know, it's not on any albums. Um, yeah. It's yeah. on live things. Um, but I don't think they, I think they stopped it about around the sheer heart attack tour. Mm-hmm. I don't recall them ever playing it when I worked with them, but uh, yeah. but I like that because as to your question, I like Led Zeppelin. I liked yeah yeah quite heavy bands. Um I wouldn't say I like Uriah Heep or that kind of thing, but yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah I like a bit of Sabbath a bit of Jethro Tull. Um yeah. and I think all through my sort of music career those were the type of bands that i i yeah. preferred but
3: yeah
2: i mean i love the stones uh, but i think for me zeppelin had it all i mean mm-hmm. they had uh, such a range um of music i mean like queen did i mean you know yeah. there was heavy stuff there were ballady things mm-hmm. they were they were fantastic musicians they were yeah. great live and they had a bit of mystique about them you know there was
0: yeah. bit... they were the, they were um, probably the best band at that i thought you know that keeping that mystique and keeping people guessing yeah. led zeppelin yeah. well, there, there's no one that rivals them
2: rivals them for that you yeah. know like, yeah. yeah and then and i think for their entire career and yeah, certainly yeah. when i was with queen um no one could rival them in terms of you know selling out i mean yeah Uh, I mean, there's no question Queen wanted to be Led Zeppelin. They Mm -hmm. wanted to be the biggest band in the world. Yeah. And that was their goal, you know. Mm -hmm. We're going to be the biggest band in the world, darling, you know. Yeah. yeah, All that stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, Zeppelin, you know, it was a case of, well, not how many nights they could do at Madison Square Gardens. It was, you know, the promoter saying, well, how many Will you play for us, you know.
0: Yeah, um, indeed. Yeah. And yeah.
2: I remember talking to Queen's booking agent in late 70s, and he said that Zeppelin were just the act. They they chose what they wanted to do, and they played that amount of gigs, you know? Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah, Zeppelin I loved. Um, but then I liked a kind of lot of um american bands american artists weren't really known in britain people like todd rungren i really Mm -hmm. like yeah
0: yeah yeah
2: and i liked steely dan who were Mm -hmm. yeah back then you didn't really hear much of them and bob seger um, yeah bob seger supported queen um oh really don't know that uh, yeah on the night of the opera tour ah and also um there was a band called mountain and i remember oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Les know, west. leslie west yeah leslie yeah, west um yeah. Yeah, yeah. who played a les paul jr and he was mm, really massive. huge guy and <laughs> yeah. it looked like he was playing a fucking ukulele <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Player. i mean again yeah. oh,
1: amazing yeah amazing.
2: Um, and he supported queen leslie westman on um oh, right, i think mate. it was on that same tour mm. and uh yeah, I got some pictures of him playing. I took up the pictures of him, and he was a big hero because I loved mm. Mountain and
0: yeah.
2: three-piece band bluesy rock, you know. Um, yeah.
0: And when Cream Cream finished up, I, feel, I felt yeah. that Mountain really took took that yeah, three, that that forward, that you know, from three-piece
2: band yeah, bluesy, yeah. Um, but uh, a little bit like I mean taste with Rory Gallagher. That oh, was a,
0: yeah,
1: yeah,
2: another band Incredible. I
1: love. Yeah, um, really act, yeah. They split up too soon, taste. They should have stayed together, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did two or maybe three albums on the boards. I think is the one on
1: oh, the boards, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. And um, yeah. So they were
2: a three piece band, you know. Um, and there was another band at the same time in Ireland called Skid Row, and Rory Gallagher was in taste, and um, well, Gary Moore was in, yeah, 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 and uh, later. He played with Thin Lizzy when they supported Mm -hmm. Queen. So, kind of over the years, all these people I'd really liked, you know, sort of came into my life. And uh, uh, Rory Gallagher was uh, to Fred, Rory was the god. I mean, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. He he idolized where he idolized Hendrix, but Rory just.
3: Oh, that's oh, interesting. Yeah, isn't, yeah.
2: Sure, sure. We, we
1: knew that, we knew that Brian loved them, but we never. Yeah, that's. Oh, it's it spread. It was. Yeah. absolutely Yeah, that's it's new brilliant. information. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. we that's did brilliant. a show really in
2: Zabrook and in Germany in '79. Um, an outdoor show, and there was various bands. I mean, I think you had the Commodores were on the bill, Molly Hatchet, another yeah. American band, yeah. and Rory Gallagher um and of oh, 10 years later alvin lee mm. but rory gallagher was on and i've never seen fred come up and go on the side of the stage to listen to a support oh wow.
3: that's us uh,
2: he came up and listened to for a n- couple of numbers or whatever to rory gallagher and a bit like mick ronson effortless you know
0: yeah, yeah absolutely yeah gone yeah.
2: over the less Paul and um Uh, Rory with his beaten up old Stratocaster, yeah, 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 real just talent, you know, you can't, yeah, can't learn that. So, yeah, yeah, those were the kind of bands that I liked and continued Mm -hmm. to like. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously, music changed, and then, yeah, I liked some, I liked the cars, I thought the cars were a real band, um, and yeah, I mean, I liked. The Foo Fighters, you know, people like that, a bit more yeah. contemporary. But um, yeah. I wouldn't say I listen to music much these days, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've probably
3: had enough of it over the years. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I'm, I go to more operas than I go to, to rock and roll shows, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. The yeah only I understand. Shows,
2: the only shows I go to are when there's someone I know's working
3: it, you know. Like yeah.
2: my mate works for Eric Clapton and mm-hmm. Clapton plays, I usually go and see him, but that's once every couple of years or something. So,
3: yeah. yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, um, I've kind of, yeah, paid my dues, and um, but, but I still listen to that kind of music, you know, my yeah. playlists, that kind of thing, and, oh, and it's like Free. Um,
3: oh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh,
2: who were, again, just raw talent, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, people yeah. say this story about Fred, uh, liking Paul Rogers, and it is true. I mean, you know, yeah. he did think he was a phenomenal singer. And mm-hmm. I agree, sadly, wasn't the right fit for Brian and Roger. Yeah,
3: know? we agree. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was,
2: I think, yeah. you know, what they did was was interesting. And when mm-hmm. I went to see them, uh Brian kindly got me some tickets on Hyde Park and then uh, I think it was the O2, Mm-hmm. And the best thing, to be honest, was when they played um free songs or bad company songs.
0: You know? Yeah, it seemed to work a lot better. Yeah,
3: yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah.
2: nothing against Paul Rogers' voice. He's, no, he's got no, a great voice, yeah, but it, yeah. Wrong, yeah. wrong fat. Yeah. He got yeah. away with one or two Queen songs, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but it was a project
3: and it had its time. And so yeah.
2: You know? Yeah, but, that's it.
3: That. Peter, I've got a question for you, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Just just when you're referring back to Queen in the 70s, you know, with you know the, the kind of rock climate and stuff like that, on this podcast, we always talk about, you know, how heavy Queen were, um, you know, even next to bands like Sabbath and Mountain and Deep Purple. Um, just to see your take on that, because things like Stone Cold Crazy, for example, I mean, that to me, even now, sounds very extreme. And do you have a, a, an opinion on that at all? How that was hearing something that fast and aggressive at that time?
2: I mean, there's no question when I first heard Queen, I mean, I thought they're a heavy band, you know? Um, yeah. Well, certainly in the mock days, I mean, the first album is pretty heavy. Um, yeah, yeah. And live, you know, they were. And, um, and when I started working with them on, well, the recording of Night of the Opera, but then the, uh, sorry, the Night of the Opera tour, the set list was, it was still pretty heavy. I mean, as you said, Stone Cold Crazy was in there. I think it was in the medley. It was, what was it, part of it? I can't remember. It was certainly in the set, and it yeah, stayed yeah. In, in the set for a couple, two or three tours or something. Mm-hmm. um And, yeah, I mean, that was kind of thrash metal,
3: I think. Yeah, the, absolutely. The That's what we yeah. see. Metallica cover it, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's, that's that, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally it's totally mind blowing at that time for a band to be that absolutely. not only that heavy, but that fast as well, you know. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and I think what is interesting is that it's a Fred song, you know?
4: Yeah, it's yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: not a Brian song because I mean, in those early days, I mean, I certainly liked Brian songs, um, you know, of the Queen songs I liked. I loved uh, Liar, Sorry, that's Fred. I love Keep Yourself Alive. <laughs> yeah. And I love Now I'm Here.
0: Uh, Son and Daughter you know, and things like apart that. from yeah. the
2: solo, I like Brighton Rock. Um,
3: <laughs>
2: uh, uh, but, um, yeah, so it was Brian's songs that, you know, I tended to prefer. Mm-hmm. But then, as I said, Liar was one of Fred's songs and then uh, Stone Cold Crazy, Flick of the Wrist. And they were, yeah, they were heavy songs. And, and the sound of the band then was... Uh, yeah, it was a lot heavier, a lot more intense. Um, yeah, and I think probably those early years that I was with them was my favourite period. I think uh, yeah. in terms yeah. of of the live show, um, mm-hmm. and I, I've said this many times, and I I still think it's it's true is that in the seventies Queen were a really great rock band.
3: Absolutely, yeah. and they
2: were a great heavy rock band in the oh, mid 70s cool. and then in the 80s they became a really good commercial rock pop band
3: yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, like that, yeah Yeah,
2: with the singles you know but the live shows still tended to be you know heavy um, intense yeah you
0: know, and yeah, yeah, the yeah.
2: arrangements and that um but you know they became a big band and mm-hmm. Bands do evolve, you know, Uh, but I think my favorite period was probably those early days. And uh, it was still a big adventure. You know, I was still young and um, yeah, they were they were great times.
5: Hi, Peter. Lynn from New Jersey here. In addition to Queen, you've also toured with, according to your book, Mick Ronson, Supertramp and, of course, Mott the Hoople. Maybe there are others. I'm curious about the differences between the bands um, from the point of view of a roadie. Workload, accommodations, relationship with the band, even the differences in leisure potential, if you want to get into it. I love your book as much for the road stories as for the info about Queen, possibly more. So anything you want to share about your time on the road with any band would be great. Thanks for doing this.
2: Lynn Davidson from New Jersey. Thank you very much for your donation to the cancer charities and uh, much appreciated. Well, Lynn, I mean, the differences between bands, I mean, uh, people say, you know, rock, sex and drugs and rock and roll, but it wasn't true for every band and Mm -hmm. the way they went about their business, let's say. Um, I mean, some bands, it was about the music and nothing else. Some bands, I think it was, you know, uh, a vehicle for their um, their fun and games, let's say. Um, <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: And, I mean, Queen were very, very disciplined in the early days. Drugs were absolutely taboo. I mean, uh, I remember James, the lighting designer, he went off and worked with Alton, and I think it was 76, and he got busted in America. And um, uh, I know Fred was just furious, absolutely furious. And um, it was very much, you know, I mean, if anyone's doing anything, you've got to be really careful. And and then that changed, you know, slightly. Um, But then, um, you know, they were very disciplined back then. Uh, Other bands I worked with, um, yeah, things went on, but to varying degrees. But, I wouldn't say I ever worked with a band where it took over, where all the sidelines and mischief, you know, um, uh, was overpowering and the music uh, suffered. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I think because they were all, I was lucky enough to pay, you know, work with people who were great players and really good musicians. So, yeah, they had different styles um different ways of rehearsing um some bands never rehearsed at all didn't sound check trusted everyone trusted themselves and the same with queen i mean in the early days they would all come to the sound check uh, religiously and diligently check everything and then that changed over the years and then by the last couple of tours i mean you never saw fred um, and you mm-hmm. very rarely saw John. Um, yeah. I mean, if there was a big show, if it was Madison Square Garden, but then they weren't playing America by the end anyway. But sure. Yeah. yeah maybe sort of some of the bigger shows. Um, Fred might come along and John, or if they wanted to do something special for that show, they'd rehearse it. But um, with outdoor shows, you don't really get the chance to do a sound check i mean sometimes the day before but often with the setup times so yeah all bands really vary in their approach and their um appetites shall we say
4: yeah
2: and um yeah uh and as for stories of the road lynn well um they are in my book and uh, they have been edited to save certain people's reputations, yeah. <laughs> and, my, yeah. and my mother, uh, you know, was frightened she'd be thrown out of the local women's institutes <laughs> and the flower club. So um, <laughs> I tried to keep it as clean as I could, but um, uh, it was uh, it was fun. It was an adventure. Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, well, someone that I
0: mean, we. We love all the guys in Queen for and for various reason reasons, but John is someone that we have a special place for. We, we yeah. you know, we really love John. Um, so, how did you rate him as a player? Because I think you know we would agree that he's underrated as a oh, player, one hundred percent. And as and as a musician, but how did you find him as a
2: player and a person? I mean, there's no question he was underrated as a bass player. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean musicians didn't underrate him because, you know, real musicians know how good people are. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no question his, you know, contribution to Queen was huge, um, mm. you know, his bass lines. And as we all know, you know latterly he uh, became, you know, more developed as a songwriter and his rhythm guitar playing was phenomenal. I mean, yeah, yeah. I would go as far as to say he was the best rhythm guitar player in the band. I mean, you know, Fender Telecaster, just that simple kind of just easy rhythm and the type of music that he liked. You know, it yeah. was just again, it was effortless. It was just
0: yeah, because the break in uh, uh, beats the dust. Uh, the 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 funky kind of rhythm that's actually John, isn't it? You know, the yeah, clean yeah. funky rhythm, and rather than Brian. And I think yeah, Brian, yeah. I think Brian yeah. said he actually struggled with it playing it live. He just couldn't get the same rhythm that John could
2: well, get. Well, that's it. I mean, he, yeah. you know, I mean, say again, Brian, you know, is is a phenomenal player, but all players have certain styles that they can't yeah, do. You know? with Absolutely,
3: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Or singers, or whatever, or uh-huh. drummers. You know, can you play yeah. in this way, or, or can you play in that way? So. Mm-hmm. Um, no, phenomenal player, um, lovely guy. And, um, you know, his, his playing, I mean, sometimes, uh, how can I say? I mean, it was not over-elaborate, but, I mean, some of the early stuff, like you say, stone-cold crazy or in yeah. line, you know, he's playing all these long runs and things. But I think with base players, it's often... What's more important is the notes you don't play.
3: Absolutely, yep. you do play. Yep. yeah. You play having
2: absolutely. that that break that well, they called it the hot space, and that was that yeah. was why hot space was called that. Oh, All right, uh, okay. Uh, That's double, previous, double, that, double. that little break in rhythm, just having that, not filling everything up. You know, just having yeah.
3: kind of the same way that, that jazz musicians speak about jazz. It's the, yeah. it's the, the notes yeah. that you don't play, yeah, yeah. Um, and the space between yeah. the notes. Yeah,
2: and. um I remember we were in the sugar shack in Munich and I remember, um, and it was around the time of hot space and bad company came on rock and roll fantasy. And, mm. um, and it's a very simple song, yeah. but it's got this kind of sort of easy rhythm. And I remember Brian, I mean, Brian loved bad co anyway, but I remember them kind of saying, well, you know, we could, we should try something like that, you know, something mm. with that little bit of space and, and, I don't know, uh, a sort of slightly easier rhythm. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and I mean, John was was very good at that. And I know uh, Elton, Elton John, um, thought that John was one of the best play, players he ever played with. Um, mm-hmm. And John worked with him, you know, later later years. So, um, yeah, I know John Entwistle. Uh, I've seen an interview with him and uh, he said, Great player, but he needs a heavier bass. But I know that Entwistle uh, was a hero of John's, you know, and yeah. and Chris Squire. Um, yeah.
0: Incredible players, broke, yeah. yeah.
2: Broke the mould for bass playing. But, yeah. but I think the important thing is that John was a musician and... Yeah. Uh, And, yeah, and I think there was another question um, uh, about uh, did John sing? I think this was from Doug from Columbus, Ohio.
5: Hello, gentlemen. Doug Curran from Columbus, Ohio, USA here. Peter, I enjoyed your book, Queen Unseen, and your photography, both with the band and your commercial photography since. Great job. You've said before that John Deacon's contribution to Queen is underappreciated. By now, most Queen fans know that John's written some monster hits and some fan favorites, um, and that he's served as Queen's in house financial guru. There's uh, some other things I wonder about him, though. Uh, so, three part question Could John sing, or did he just, as Brian May says, opt out? Have you ever heard John at least try to sing? Uh, two, Were there particular band or crew members that John especially gravitated toward while on tour? Who did he like to hang out with? Maybe it was you. And third and final question, in the studio, would the other three band members leave it up to John to come up with the bass lines or would they more often direct him on what to play? Thanks for taking part, Peter.
2: Doug Curran from Columbus, Ohio. I've been there many times. And uh, you were very kind about my photography, Doug, so thank you. And, um, yeah, you said about John singing, and no, he didn't sing. It's as simple as that. Um, John didn't sing, never tried to sing, and um, even though he, you know, did it on stage, it was just for the visual effect and Uh choruses and whatever, and, you know, it looked balanced. Uh, on stage, but no, I mean, John didn't sing, Uh, he wasn't a
3: singer So I've I've actually got something to interject there, because I've I know the three of us are quite curious about this Um, the songs that that John wrote um, and Freddie obviously sang, do you have any insight into whether John had the melody the vocal melody, or would that be something that Freddie would would come up with or just, you
2: know I uh, I think it was a bit of A bit of both. I mean, obviously, Freddie sang all of of John's songs. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So he knew he would have to work with Freddie on it. And John, uh, I think, developed as a songwriter due to Freddie's um, input. Um, I mean, he was very, very selfless, uh, Freddie, with
3: with
2: his time and with his help and with his encouragement and mentoring. I mean... With John, uh, particularly, but he could see the talent and he could draw it out of him. And um, yeah, I'm sure that he he came up with things. But um, I mean, they were John's songs, but um, a little, um, you know, he he might have changed the lyrics slightly because he said, "Oh, you know, that will." hold better and hang on to the next verse or whatever. Just yeah. what musicians do. Um yeah. it wasn't a case of um well there's a song Fred, you sing it. You yeah, know you yeah,
3: that, that was kind of what we were kind of wondering uh, how that dynamic worked. Yeah. You know, but you know, uh obviously
2: he respected, you know, it was his song and and they worked on it together. Yeah. Um but Fred did that with everybody, you know. I mean he did it he did it with Roger a lot when Roger started to have, you know, um hit songs it was Fred who again drew it out of him and, and could yeah. see the potential and oh no no that won't work dear you know no 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 you've got to yeah. got to do it like this and Roger's yeah. like oh okay fine you know yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah and because you know there was this respect um yeah. An admiration, really, for Fred. You knew he wasn't going to get it wrong, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a monster musician. I, I think I don't yeah. think that's that's spoken about enough. The guy was no, unbelievable no, no. in every yeah. way, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I mean, he was you know, the quiet one, the same way John Entwistle was the quiet yeah, one. Yeah. You know? yeah, So, or John Paul Jones in Zeppelin. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, but great musician, and um, yeah, he. Um, Say he came up with his own bass lines, uh, because I think that was another one of Doug's questions. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he didn't tell Roger how to play drums. He didn't tell Brian how to play guitar. But as things were being worked out, there might be suggestions. You know, he might say, I'd like that to come in earlier or I'd like, you know,
4: that key
2: to change a bit a bit." Quicker or, or or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It certainly wasn't the thing of um, uh, this is my song. You do exactly what I say because uh, they yeah. weren't session musicians.
3: They were yeah, absolutely they were yeah. a band. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Band, and, well.
2: and they they were a truly a, a band in that they mm-hmm. got the best out of each other. You know, absolutely yeah. um, mm-hmm. all through their career. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and and Doug was saying, who did John hang out with? Um, was it me? Yeah. We, used to hang out quite a lot, um, particularly in the later years. When we were in Munich, uh, I used to drive him around. We had a room next to each other with a connecting door. Um, if we were in Tokyo for a week, I'd have a, a room next to his in, in his hotel, in the band's hotel and things like that. And, yeah. yeah, we'd hang out quite a lot. Um, uh, but often on tour, well, we travelled separately to the band, so he mm-hmm. would have his mind walling. Um, and, uh, yeah, he'd hang out with him, but he hung out with Roger quite a lot um, on tour, I think. Um, Yeah, and he was pretty sociable, and, yeah, the crew got on very well with him, everyone, really. So, yeah, great guy, and, um, yeah, he's retired now. That's his decision. Everyone should respect it
3: absolutely absolutely know
2: i've heard people say oh well of course he's he's taking all this money in and this and that Wait, right <laughs> uh, well i mean you know if he wrote those songs and yeah. on his uh, uh sorry he wrote those songs and he gets the publishing well, yeah absolutely why not? i mean yeah you know, the estates of musicians who are dead get royalties i mean it's like um yeah. he made a decision that after Freddie died, it it affected him very badly. I mean, it affected yeah. all of us. But yeah. I think John, he was affected, you know, really deeply because um, people don't realise how close him and Freddie were, um, you know, yeah. the, the trust and the respect and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think he said that no one could replace Fred. That's 100%. Yeah,
3: true. You're yeah. right. So, yeah, yeah.
2: you know... And he was very uncomfortable about even doing the tribute show.
3: Um, yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. not because he didn't want to honor Freddie or anything, just he was so bloody nervous, you know?
3: You could see uh, it, yeah. Yeah.
2: And, um, you know, I mean, he played well. I mean, I came out of retirement from my photography career and helped him out and stuff. And on the day and rehearsals, and, um, yeah, uh, it was fine, but I mean, after that, I think he just did one other thing with Elton, and uh, yeah, that's right. and that was it. And he, mm-hmm. you know, he he always found it a struggle balancing his his home life, his family, and and being on tour and being away recording. Um, yeah, so yeah. He's paid his dues, and so let him retire. Let him, you know, indeed, live his yeah. life. Yep. I mean, it's like it's after you know, John Bonham died, uh, Zeppelin said, "Well, there's no more Led Zeppelin." And yeah, that's it. Yeah, so. yeah. Stuck they were the time true time. to their word, apart yeah. from the uh, one show where they had Bonham's oh. son. son.
3: Yeah. Oh, Bonham. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Jason.
2: Um, um, but you know. People have different views on it, but I, I certainly get very upset when I see people having to go with him. Um, yeah, indeed.
0: I, yeah, yeah,
2: unnecessarily, yeah, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, us being from Glasgow, um, you know. Well, yeah, man.
2: Oh, man. no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's Newcastle, isn't
2: it? And I kind of. I kind of do the difference between Glasgow and Edinburgh, you know. Oh, aye,
3: aye. I <laughs> do that, you know. That's
0: a massive difference, believe me. So the Glasgow Apollo, of course, uh, is, is kind of notorious. Um, do you have any particular memories of, of being there and what it was like as a venue?
2: Yeah, I mean, I did... the the Apollo loads of times um, with different bands, with Bowie, with Lou Reed, uh, with Mop, with all kinds of people. And, excuse me, on a tour, when you saw it, it was, if it was a biggish band touring England, then, sorry, Britain, it was always going to be on the the itinerary Mm -hmm. because it was such a great venue because it had such a great audience. It was big. I think it was was around 3,000, I think. um, Yeah and beautiful, beautiful old Art Deco cinema. However, for road crews, it was a fucking nightmare. It was the worst (laughs) place to get in and out of. Um, You had to come in from the back of the stalls and all the equipment had to go through the stalls and then up um, onto where I think the organ uh, originally had been when it was a cinema and then up onto the stage and it was something like 14 feet. Yeah. So it was just a complete nightmare um, logistically. And the stage wasn't very big. So, you know, everything had to go back out into the truck. And a lot of things you couldn't um, uh, take down the aisle because it was a cinema aisle. It was narrow. So a lot of the equipment was too big. So you had to kind of drag it over the seats. Oh, it was oh, just, you know... Um, <laughs> So it was a kind of love hate thing, but but the crowds were always fantastic, mm. and um, they say about the the balcony moving, you know, mm. and uh, and it is true. Uh, it used to um, it used to wobble and go up and down. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like Hammersmith Odeon. It had that kind of cachet about it, you know. It was yeah, like yeah. that's the gig in Scotland, and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know. Is it still going or
1: not? no? It was. It was pulled down in the late eighties. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there's, was, a, there's a, a multi-story cinema. Uh, right. <laughs> Ironically enough, where it where it used to be, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was
2: called yeah. Green's Playhouse as well, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. that's the other yeah, that's name right. for it, uh, but yeah, I mean, everyone I played with there, um, you know, got great reactions. Mm-hmm. But I remember with Queen <clears throat> on that uh, first tour, the. Um, well, there was the Mott the Hoople tour we played there, uh, but on the Night of the Opera tour, and we did a couple of nights. And when we got there, um, Bo Rat was number one, and Night of the Opera was number one. And, awesome. you know, it was like we are on top of the fucking world now. Yeah, you could yeah. sense <laughs> it. And so there was a great <laughs> buzz. And there was a great buzz on that tour because, as I told you, I wasn't a Queen fan. Neither were the other guys from Mott. We just thought, well, this is a job. But yeah. once you started getting into it uh, and you thought, well, actually, we might be in on something not bad here, you know, mm. and we might even go up to 50 quid a week, you know. Um, <laughs> and um, I think by the time we'd finished the that tour in, in Glasgow, you just felt this band were on fire. And yeah. we used to do matinees. We'd do, you know, two shows a night. I mean, who really does that wild. now, you know? And at yeah. that intensity, mm-hmm. I mean,
4: yeah,
2: of course. Uh, I remember they Manchester, all kinds of places. I don't think we did it in Glasgow. I think we just did two separate nights. Mm-hmm. But I know that there were some gigs where they couldn't add another date. And so they stuck a matinee in. So you do like, show at six and a show at nine. That's insane. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, probably, uh, I don't know if they're in my itineraries, they might be, but things got added at the last moment, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember that very well, um, the the Apollo. And, uh, and then we came back to London, and that's when uh, they did the Christmas Eve show, like, a few days later. Yeah, and of
0: course, yeah, for the BBC. They were so the
2: show, yeah. kind of on fire show was so well rehearsed, such a a great show. And then after they did that live old grey whistle test, that took them up to another level, you know? Yeah. And that was where it was like, yeah, we're on 50 quid a week from now on, you know?
0: (laughs) Happy days.
2: Oh, God, happy days, yeah. Yeah. A bar of chocolate chocolate if you're lucky, you know? Uh, But uh, that was, um, yeah, that great period of seeing that rise and... um, That, I think, and um, around the time of the game when, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they managed to, I think, you know, achieve that thing of being the biggest band in the world. And uh, certainly the the game tour, because the album was number one in America, Mm -hmm. Crazy Little Thing had been number one before the album was even finished. And then Bites of Dust, still their biggest single, you know, uh, number one. And the tour was enormous, Um, you know, and we were doing three, four nights, Madison Square Garden, all the big gigs, and then, of course, Breaking South America. That was the period, and I think, you know, Brian has said about it, just for that moment when you just realise, you know, we've we've hit that level, and they were. They were the the biggest thing, and uh, Mm -hmm. those those were great times um, because, you know, you get buoyed up by the that kind of energy you know absolutely yeah and, and you know about well I mean Fred obviously Fred was the consummate professional but he kind of with his professionalism he would raise everybody around him
3: you know mm-hmm.
2: um, yeah I mean he he could be difficult or demanding is another yeah. word because he was demanding it kind of kept you on your toes and you had to raise your game and so I had to be sharper I had to be quicker I had to be better Mm -hmm. um, as did everybody else and uh, I would say I'm eternally grateful to him for giving me that kind of work ethos and that um that ability to push yourself and drive yourself and, and, and believe yeah. in yourself, you know? Yeah. And when I left to take up photography, you know, and, and he was really supportive and yeah, yeah, you, you'll do it dear, You'll make it, you know, and, but all the kind of work ethos and dedication and professionalism as well, that, you know, I'd put into queen and because of uh, the people I was working with, you know, with, with and for, it really helped me and I think it still helps me today when I'm doing things. Yeah. Like,
0: by the influences don't failed. Yeah. Best,
2: you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If mm-hmm. they want to palm you off with something, just turn them the fuck off,
3: you know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, much more than that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Used yeah. to do. So um, so yeah, but all those uh those tours were yeah, they were f- I mean, every tour was good in its way, but yeah. uh, I think that um uh Yeah, the early tours. I think uh, when the set was a bit heavier. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. But yeah, the game tour. um,
3: Yeah, great album. They were phenomenal on that tour. You know, the the footage that we have seen, it's they were superb on that tour. Yeah. yeah.
2: And the works tour, actually, I think um, I think the the stage set was probably the best they ever
3: had. Um, The cogs, yeah. yeah. With
2: the cogs and the the kind of thing which was mentioned a rig, bit like yeah. a phoenix you know the yeah. lighting rig and with mm. the uh, mul- uh, multi-spots controlled by infrared and all this kind of thing mm-hmm. um and it was a great set list and they brought a lot of things back like yeah, London, yeah.
0: uh
2: seven seas of orion mm, great um, king rat and things like that yeah well, well, yeah, yeah. i mean there was <clears throat> all kinds of stuff and then yeah you yeah. know we had everything we we went back to using strobes again um ah, which you haven't done since like the first mm-hmm. night of the opera tour or maybe 76, 77, the latest. And then flashpots, and it was I mean, Fred said at the start of the tour, come on, dear, give them the fucking works. This is the works Give them the fucking. <laughs> so,
4: uh,
2: yeah, so those those tours, um, you know, they stick in the mind more I suppose yeah
0: yeah indeed yeah, and, and coming back to you mentioned a crazy little thing um you you were with Fred when he when he started started in a, uh,
2: putting that song together weren't you Peter in Munich. Uh, crazy yeah yeah, yeah 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 um I mean it's uh <clears throat> it's a longish story um but uh basically I mean I I think I yeah I cover it in my book um mm-hmm. We were at the end of a tax year out of England, uh, even though officially you weren't allowed to take tax years out. You just had to, at the end of the year, go to the tax man and say, oh, goodness me, we appear to have written uh, and recorded and won a (laughs) live album all out of the UK. How did that happen? Uh, (laughs) And I think it was because it was still, it was before Maggie Thatcher and it was Labour government, but it was 90-something percent tax. So that's Everyone, I mean, Elton mm. was living in L.A. or Rod Stewart. I mean, uh, you know, all these bands were, were tax exiles because yeah, it was
3: yeah. just, you know. No wonder. Yeah, so it's an insane right. amount of money. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Um, anyway, um, we ended up in Munich for the last six weeks because the band liked Munich and they'd heard about Musicland and um, and it was going to be a lot looser for the first time, you know, no deadline, just go in there, do some stuff. And uh, we'd done some rehearsals uh, in a film studio just outside Munich and then gone in uh, to Musicland and Met Mac and all that. Anyway, um, Fred had gone back to London and I had to come back to clear all the stuff from Japan when we'd uh, done Japan a few months before. And I had to uh, clear it, He'd come back by sea container. And um, while I was there, I got a call from the office and they said, oh, would you take something back to Munich? Normally it was like videos of Top of the Pops or, you know, mm-hmm. Coronation Street or something or English sausages or, you know, things <laughs> to God knows what. I said, yeah, yeah sure. Um, I said, shall I come and pick it up? They said, oh, no, it's Fred. <laughs> oh, all
1: right.
2: <laughs> so, and he was back. I don't know what he was doing. He was seeing Mary and something. And, and then um, they said, well... You know, you you can go back with him, look after him. Yeah, yeah, and I'd, you know, driven him before and stuff. And so, well, it's fine. Anyway, unfortunately, the day we were supposed to go, there was an air traffic control strike. And um, uh, it was a bit of a concern because he had to leave the country that day. He didn't have any more days left because you're allowed one in six, but you had to do them in a certain configuration and Mm -hmm. whatever. So anyway, um, uh, it was like, okay, so what are we going to do? Well, I'll go out to Heathrow and I'll wait and I'll see what can be done and whether we can go somewhere else or whatever, you know, because i had, I'd had the tickets, i would got the air tickets. And then it was like, no, and no flights are going. No, fucking hell. And then I considered, well, I've got to get him out of the country. So... We could rent a car I could drive to Dover and get on a ferry and just make sure, you know, and he's stamped into France or something so he's left the country, you know, get a ticket with his name on or something. So all these things are going through my mind and thinking, you know, uh, and this is sort of an instance where I'm put in a situation that is not my fault at all. Fine fucking brick in it. I'm thinking, shit, you know, he could lose his his whole tax year thing. Um, yeah. but, but it's not my fault. You can guess who <laughs> I'm blamed. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, so, anyway, um, fortunately, the strike was stopped or they allowed certain flights to go. So, yeah, no problem. So off we go. First class, of course. And um, yeah, just chatting away about this and that music and whatever drinking a bit of bubbly he had a, a guy called uh, peter a german guy who was his driver at that time in munich local guy he picked us up in a big Merck, back to the hilton and then he said oh i'm going to take a shower sorry a bath um i'm going to freshen up you know so i'm hanging out in the big sitting room this suite with the german guy having a smoke or something uh and then i can hear him in the bathroom. And he's making noises and stuff. And I think he's shouting out chords or this, that, whatever. And then he says, Ratty, Ratty, come here. And I'm like, What? Do you want me to come into your bathroom, Fred? Come on. Don't be stupid. Come on. Fall, you know and all this anyway eventually i see me comes out and he's you know, like a toweling robe with a towel around his head and he's still dripping he's, get me a guitar get me a guitar and he's waving his hands the way that he used to but <laughs> you can't see on radio but believe me he was an <laughs> yeah, right. antenna tuning in and i'd got this old guitar i don't know whose it was actually it was an old acoustic and it was under the sofa in the suite so i pulled it out tuned it up at a scratchy old thing and he snatches it off me it right. and you can hear him playing the chords in D, C, and C and G. Oh, okay. Right. Right. He said, you get on the phone, call the studio, you tell those fuckers I'm coming over and we're going to do something, do it right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fred. Yeah. Yeah. So I called up and said his self is back and he's coming
5: over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, uh, and that's exactly what happened. We went over and, um, Straight away, went in right. Stop everything. I've got this. Played it, and it was him and John and Roger, and they did the backing track straight away. And he played, hmm. uh, you know, the rhythm guitar and acoustic, and then later Brian did the um, did the solo, and and it was Mac who convinced him to use uh, a Telecaster and not his own guitar because. Right. The Telecaster was, you know, a 50s guitar, and it had got yeah. that 50s sort of, you know... Yeah, uh, twang kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, rockabilly, <laughs> and that sound. And he actually, um he played it through a boogie amp, a Mesa boogie amp, um, ah, which right was a, a single speaker, really heavy amplifier. I mean, one mm. well, supposed to be portable, but there's I mean, yeah. yeah. only one one speaker in it. But, I mean, it was just heavier yeah. heavier than an AC-30 with double yeah very very heavy, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, you had this big boost setting on it, and it, it was a really, it was a great sound. And Pete Townsend used to use them, and I think I think that's how I got one because we used to store our stuff with the Who and uh, use their facilities, and they would always kind of recommend things. And uh, and he yeah he played it through the Boogie Amp, yeah, uh, and yeah. it sounded. Great! It was oh, perfect. It for that yeah. song, you know,
0: um, it really, really does.
2: And it, it's as simple as that. I mean, it happened like that. I mean, mm-hmm. how long he'd had that idea? Who knows? I mean, maybe he'd had yeah. it for ten years, or maybe for ten minutes. But
5: mm-hmm. you know,
2: that's what creative people are like. And yeah, Fred yeah. was very spontaneous, and and that was just, you know, well, obviously a privilege to have been there and to seen that kind of thing just. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Hartman, that, that, uh, Yeah. That, that's Hartman. that's that's really interesting, actually, because I didn't realise Freddie played the the acoustic guitar yeah, in did. that song. I just yeah, that's that's awesome. That's news to me. So, yeah. but that was that probably the first and only song that Freddie ever played guitar on. I don't.
2: will be honest with you. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I'm sure there are some experts out there with a the book who will tell yeah, you. Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah, what guitar he was playing and what strings and yeah. what of course, time
3: it was when he recorded it and stuff. Exactly what he
2: was wearing and of course it'll all be bollocks. But I mean, Oh yeah, of course, yeah, that. absolutely. Because uh, they were all there and I wasn't. But then, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: So, so I suppose um, after that period, obviously we move on to Hot Hot Space, and that was the last time that. Um, um, Queen toured America, toured the US, and um, in your book you, you mentioned that as being suicidal, and I think that's in many ways that, that would seem pretty obvious. But from your perspective, Peter, um, um, why, why would could you expand on that? Why would you say, say that was? Well, that
2: case? I mean, the game, as we've discussed, was a huge album, and mm. it made them what they wanted to be in America. Yeah, and as we all know, Hot Space wasn't the game. It went Hmm. in the direction of Another One Bites the Dust and that kind of music. And Fred particularly liked it um, because, you know, he was going to the sort of clubs that played that sort of more dance-orientated, you know. uh, Hmm. And, yes, it wasn't um, their best album. um, And, you know, the the figures uh, didn't stack up. Yeah. The tour was okay, but I mean, again, they didn't do what they did with the game. Mm-hmm. But then, to be fair, whenever a band has an enormous album, the follow up never quite, you know. Yeah,
0: indeed. Yeah. Did. Yeah, um, yeah.
2: You look at Fleetwood Mac and rumors, how do you mm-hmm. follow that, you know? Mm-hmm. And Queen had it throughout their career. I mean, Day at the Races, Night at the Opera. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh,
2: then, you know, they get it big again with News of the World. And then.
4: Yeah.
0: Yes, wasn't push it. On. Yeah, yeah,
2: it just the way it is. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't really the hot space tour that stopped them touring in America. I mean, you know, after they'd done that, they then decided to take a year off in 83, mm-hmm. which ended up not being so. They went back in the studio uh, yeah. in the summer, start doing the works. Um, and with the works, I think, you know, you were back to what, People would say was more of a Queen album, yeah. um, and I think they realised that you know, yeah, this is a good album, and uh, they had just got rid of uh, Electra. They had one more album to do for Electra. and whether I don't know, someone blamed Electra for Hot Space not being big, which is possibly there are some truths in that, but I. Uh, I think it was a little bit of overreaction. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, you can blame people for all kinds of things in hindsight. But um, anyway, they got out of the Electra deal because they're with Electra in America and Canada, Australia, Japan, and a couple of other territories. And they went with capital, which was Mm -hmm. EMI. So they would then be with the EMI kind of umbrella. Sure. Worldwide, and I think they thought maybe that's better. More everything is concentrated, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think capital paid them a lot of money to sign, um, mm-hmm. and and um, the works was a was a good album, you know. I mean, it yes. was uh, as we all know, there's some really big singles, mm-hmm. but it didn't do it in America, and I think Gargoyle was the first single in America, um, as it was in Britain, I think. Um, yeah. I Cargo was the first,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
2: Anyway, um, so I think there were tensions quite early on. And um, then uh, I can't remember how it exactly went, but I know when they did Break Free, um, they didn't like the video. And by that time, MTV yeah. was becoming the vehicle. And I know they were asked to do another video. Even if you know just a performance, a performance video, yeah. Get up on stage or just mime in front of a green screen or something or whatever, mm-hmm. and they just said, "No, we're not fucking doing it." And I think by then they become a little bit more assertive, let's say, um, sure. in their ways, a little bit sure of themselves, and uh, they well, they didn't really have management. That was the problem, you know after John Reed, they got got rid of John in 78 or something, and Mm -hmm. they managed themselves. They didn't really have a Peter Grant, you know, or a Bill Kerbishley or anyone like that who could focus them and really kind of, you know, get them to... Jerry was very good, Jerry Stickles with Mm -hmm. with touring and stuff and with other things. But, I mean, uh, they needed someone, I think, who could have got around them, you know, and sure. yeah, if you yeah. got Fred on board, you would usually get the others on board. So mm-hmm. um I think that they should have done that. And I think, you know, obviously the, the video killed them in America. I mean, it mm-hmm. yeah. was yeah. bizarre because in America, they love Monty Python with women, you know, men yeah. as women. Yeah. Oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Those Monty Python guys, they're a They're real wild. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> My God. And um, damnation. But, <laughs> but, but not
0: the rock stars. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
2: Because, yeah. you know, it was meant to be a kind of pastiche of Coronation Street. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Someone in America isn't going to get at all. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that relationship kind of became very fractious before it had yeah. even had a chance to get going. Um, sure. yeah, it's a yeah. real shame because, you know, America is a fickle mistress and you've got to, you know, got to send her flowers, take her out on a date, buy her chocolates, remember her birthday, you know, those <laughs> kind of
0: things. yeah,
2: say you're sorry, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um yeah. And and they didn't do that, um, yeah. you know, and because they hadn't been there for over two years, it was like, well, now is the time to go. Mm-hmm. And so when it came time to touring the works, uh, a decision was like, no, well, we'll we'll you know we'll tour um uh, tour Europe, and then well we did Sun City, and then we did uh, Japan and uh, Australian. New Zealand, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was, and then Rock in Rio, that's right.
3: Yeah.
2: So that was the work store. And I think it was like, oh, don't worry, dear, we'll, we'll go back again, you know, we'll, we'll do it again. We'll just go and play the big places. And I think, you know, they needed someone to tell them that that was not going to be as easy as, as they sure. thought. Yeah, um, yeah, And it's a shame because I think, you know, Queen and America needed each other, you know, both big and kind of over yeah. the top in some ways and brash and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know america it does forget and they're quite fickle. Yeah. so mm-hmm. it was a mistake i mean even though i know there were dates uh reserved jerry had got some dates uh penciled in if suddenly you know they thought yeah, once they were on the road and it was going well oh god you know maybe we should go to america and then jerry yeah. said well okay you know because you can't just do those things overnight you know yeah. sure yeah, yeah suddenly we're playing in uh, in Wembley in the arena we've just done four nights and it's going well and Fred says oh let's go over and do Madison Square Garden you know so, yeah it
0: yeah. doesn't was, quite oh, work yeah. like that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: um but, but Jerry was very good and um he I know he had dates lined up and even after the magic tour there were some dates in America um, if they that's, felt that's... that they wanted to go, you know,
4: wow. insane, yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: not many, but um, uh, yeah, there were, um uh, yeah. Date, sorry, I've just had a text, um, and not from Fred. Sorry, by the way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he
3: was still close, still, <laughs> still with
2: me every day. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it was um it was suicidal of them not to go to America, but it wasn't really the Hot Space album, it was what happened after the album, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. that that intervening period of not going to America. And then with the works, which was a good album. Um, and then as we all know by the end of the works, uh things were getting a little bit tense and Fred was doing his solo album. Roger had done a couple. They're all getting a bit fed up, I think.
0: Yeah. And yeah. it was
2: only Live Aid that sort of saved that. So, um,
0: indeed, uh, indeed.
2: Yeah, it's a shame that they didn't, but hey. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. I
0: want to come on to Live Aid uh, next, day, Peter. But before I do that, I'm just looking at those flying ducks behind you. And it yeah. reminds me very much of the Break Free video. Oh, um, because... ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: from that, they were um, originals from my mum and dad's first house. Ah, uh, excellent. Oh, cool. Well. They're
1: genuine there
2: from 1954, those ducks. Lovely. Brilliant. the real, the, the yeah, real thing. Yeah. And excellent. I remember them when I was a kid, being on the wall above the fireplace.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> excellent. Cool. <laughs> Superb. Um, so yeah, you mentioned live aid there, Peter. I mean, we, we know Queen's what Queen's day was like in terms of how they performed, and it's legendary, and you know, and and you know, one of the best live performances of all time, and all the rest of it. Um, but what was your day like? Do you remember much about that day?
2: Um, it was hot. I remember that, and I had to wear shorts. I'm sure a lot of people remember that. <laughs> and um,
0: denim shorts, tight yeah. shorts.
2: You know? <laughs> sport socks and whatever. Anyway. Um, yeah. Um, I remember Jerry was staying with me, staying in my flat and, um, cause it was charity and there wasn't a big budget and stuff. So, um, but he was organizing stuff and he did the rehearsals and the reason that they were so good on the day was because they rehearsed and rehearsed really yeah. tightly and got that set down. And then secondly, uh, they'd had experience of playing big, big arenas. And thirdly, they could play, you know. They yeah. were a great band, you know. Yeah. They were a really good, tight, three-piece band with a half-decent singer. So, <laughs> you know, who um, you know could wave at the audience. So, um, yeah. Um, but my day, yeah. I know Jerry went off earlier. Um, I to know, do some stuff. I think I went up on the tube. Yeah, I think I went up on the tube and um, got there, and uh, they didn't want you to be there too early with so many bands and crews around, and then yeah. gear got unloaded, and then when it was our time, we set up on our part of the stage, which was a circle. Um, cut into like three pieces of pie, if you know what I mean. So you had the the band playing at the front, and then stage right was the band who were coming on next, so you were setting up, and on the other one, the other third, it was the band breaking down who'd just been on, and -hmm. then it rotated, and it worked really, really well. Um, And it was all very tight time-wise, and, um, you know, it was all because it was live TV and all that. And uh, it was a case of, well, they had to trust the crew. There were no, uh, no sound checks for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you know, l- lighting. Well, I mean, there were lights. But I think by the time Queen went on, it was still daylight. But um, yeah. but no, you know, explosions, flashes, special mm-hmm. effects. It's all about going out there and playing as a yeah. musician or musicians. And... Um, we, I'm still tuning John's guitar as they come on stage when it's that tight. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and then because they, they all walked on, waved, and then came back, I gave John his guitar, and Fred sits down, starts playing bow rap. And I think it was just a case of, fuck me, I hope nothing goes wrong, you know, because yeah. we'd all done it so many times before, and we knew the gear, mm-hmm. and everyone was professional. But you just never know. I mean, you know, you've got billions of electronic connections in a rock and roll show, literally billions. And it only takes one vibration to just, you know, uh, unhinge that or whatever it might be, you know. Mm -hmm. Some gremlin comes out of the darkest depths of Mordor to (laughs) plague, you and uh, ruin everything for you. So it was a case of... um, I just hope it's all okay. Anyway, and they started playing and seemed to be all right. And then I think by the time they were, you know, getting into Gaga and you saw the crowd with their hands, thought, oh, yeah, oh, this is all right. Fucking hell, you know, I'll get paid. (laughs) Um, And um, then you started to get that feeling of, wow, this is really good, you know? Yeah. Uh, You could relax a bit and uh it all went by in a flash like all those things do you know it's like you hear stories of when england won the world cup and uh players say it went by like that you know i don't even remember anything yeah
0: yeah Uh i had to
2: watch you know the the video back to see it yeah and um but yeah i do remember the energy and also kind of everyone around i mean um other crew you know staging crew Uh, truckloaders, people who were sort of hanging around. And you kind of saw people, you know, probably not necessarily Queen fans going, well, you know, this band are really doing it. They're really getting it right. And it's no disrespect to the other bands on the day, but some of them I just don't think were suited to that kind of show. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Freddie was made for that sort of thing, yeah. yeah.
2: Totally. I mean, um, you know, Style Council, or Sade. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sade, wonderful, wonderful singer. A-
3: absolutely. You know? yeah, I yeah, yeah, a
2: great album. But she wasn't the type of act that, that the punters wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They wanted status quo to open it, which I thought was great. And I yeah, saw yeah. that, I saw the opening at home and saw the first couple of things because they opened it at midday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I had to be there for like four o'clock or something. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, uh, that was what people really wanted, you know. Yeah. And so by the time Queen came on, it was 6.20 or something. Mm-hmm. People have been in there for a long, long time. It was a really hot day. And... Um, I think they needed a bit of lift you know a bit of a second you know wind shot in the arm and I think Queen came on and, and really gave it to them
0: um, so it was good timing timing as well then Peter you think you know yes yeah, yeah
2: like anything in yeah. life in history it's a combination of mm. the right thing at the right time
3: yeah the planets aligning yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: yeah queen were the right band at the right time at live aid i mean if yeah. they come on at 2 in the afternoon Maybe not, you know, yeah. or if they come on at 10 at night.
4: Yeah.
2: Just, just think it's like everything in life, you know, it's
4: yeah.
2: meeting people, um, you know, your partner, your wife, whatever. Um, yeah. Getting that job, those sliding door moments, you know. Indeed. Yeah,
3: yeah
2: absolutely. So, um, yeah, it was it was fantastic. And in hindsight, you obviously look back on it and realize how important it was. Mm-hmm. And I think they realized as soon as they came up, they knew they, they'd they done it. And basically they then sort of were encouraged to continue, you know, that,
3: Yeah.
2: well, actually the four of us together really have something to offer,
3: you know? Yeah, absolutely,
2: um, yeah. They had things to offer individually, of course, but, you know, the sum was better than the individuals. And
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: because I'm I'm convinced that um, they would have probably broken up if it yeah. had live aid or they yeah. might have had one more shot at doing an album but things were getting pretty pretty tired after the works thing and, um, yeah. and yeah they'd lost America uh, mm. which was a big thing they'd had the Sun city issue which you know was mm. not the greatest thing and um, yeah, they've been doing it a long time, and Live Aid just gave them that belief back and to do the Magic Album, then tour again. So
3: Indeed. it's yeah.
2: great that that happened. So mm-hmm. they got a bit more of Fred, you know?
3: Aye, which yeah. is always a good thing. Yeah, a bit of a bad thing.
2: Yeah.
3: Hi Peter, this is Alex Small from Edinburgh.
0: Apologies for the long question. As a massive Queen and Bruce Springsteen fan, I was wondering if you could elaborate on your backstage chat, along with John Deacon and Bruce Springsteen, on Bruce's River
3: Tour in 1980. You wrote also that Roger had been to Bruce's show the previous night and was granted the same audience. With all the loose connections between the two acts, I'm less
0: disappointed that their paths appear to not cross either in the studio or on stage. So my question is, do you have any photos of either meetings? Also, Roger said on record in an interview with Goldmine magazine in 2015, I did sort of know Bruce some point a long, long time ago, but it was before I did that track, that track being Racing in the Streets in 1984. Any ideas or knowledge of this, as there are no photographs of the two of them or indeed any members of Queen and Bruce Springsteen on the internet? Thank you.
2: Springsteen was playing at Wembley in the River Tour, and it was some... Actually, he said 1980. Sorry, Alex. It was 1981. It was there. We go. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: not to be uh, not to be an anorak, but it was uh, it was in June 1981, um, and it was That's just before team. we went off to do Hot Space. Uh, we were given tickets and passes to go along to the show, John and I, and because um, I think it was Harvey Goldsmith was promoting him. Who was Queen's promoter? So we go along and we see the show from the <clears throat> excuse me, the Celebrity Enclosure, which is kind of on the side of the stage. And he did it in two parts because he used to play for over four hours. Yeah. And yeah. He did two,
1: and I then think he, he stole uh, does,
2: doesn't he? Springsteen. Is, I mean, he's like, like I anyway, still. I mean, great show. Loved it. And then um, I go back with John to the bar and we're just having a drink. And then Bruce's manager comes up and he said, oh, would you like to come along and say hello to Bruce, you know? Yeah, all right. And um, so it was, yeah, okay. So we go down the corridor and we're shown in this room and there's a massage table in it. And um, because he put physically so much into the show, he had a, a masseur on tour with him, you know, mm-hmm. and it smelt of that kind of liniment that he used to yeah, have. Yeah, the there. oil, yeah. Uh, when you <laughs> played football back in the 60s, yeah. you yeah. <laughs> run your muscles, you know. Anyway, uh, lo and behold, along comes Bruce. A uh, few minutes later, and there was like a couple of beers. Do you want a beer, guys? Yeah, and then we just sat there and chatted. And um, he was a big fan of Queen. You wouldn't, you wouldn't expect that. No, um, not at all. No. No. And then, yeah. again, you know, he's a musician and he's a great musician. So makes sense. Yeah, music, yeah. Say, it's, hey. it's like, and you know. It's 1981, so Queen were like the band.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think uh, I think we spoke about, because in Alex's question, he said, what do you talk about and stuff? Um, and it was basically about, I think, South America. We'd just come back from South America and whatever, and how well that had gone, and Bruce was saying. I think he said he liked Crazy Little Thing. That's right, he, um, which would be more of a Springsteen type of song.
3: Yeah,
2: And it was all just very relaxed and easy going and meanwhile you've got half of the world half of london out there you know baying to say hello to bruce springsteen and he's in there with the bass player from queen and he's roadie
4: like, oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, but alex said um you know "Oh, do you have any photographs of that and the thing is is that in those situations you you would never do that you would yeah, never yeah. take a it's not like now where you've got your phone and oh, all. Yeah. I mean, there were unwritten rules, you know. I mean, obviously I took pictures of the band in the studio on that, but that was fine because they knew me and they knew I would only take it at certain times, or often they would ask me to take them. Mm-hmm. It's the same as when we did under pressure. I didn't take a single picture because I thought, well, I can't, you know, impose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I come in there with my camera, it's going to be like. The fuck do you think mm, you're doing? Yeah, you know, or whatever. Course, yeah. And yeah. all out of respect for David and whatever. So you just didn't do those things. Mm-hmm. Um you you had unwritten rules between you know with the crew and the band and, and that sort of family thing. You you didn't uh you know let secrets out, you didn't allow outsiders in. Um, so it was very much, you know, uh a protection thing. And um, yeah. Yeah. so, no, I mean, I didn't even have a camera. Um, and why would I have a camera when I went to see Bruce Springsteen, realistically? Yeah. so
3: yeah. Too busy watching. I was, hanging, I was hanging
2: out. I mean, yeah. of course, it would have been wonderful mm-hmm. to have had that. But, you know, really, to answer your question, Alex, you just didn't do those kind of things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It just wasn't done back then. Um, uh, and we didn't even have mobile phones, you know? So,
3: yeah, uh, yeah. oh Oh,
2: yeah um so yeah we didn't um you know uh do that kind of thing and um yeah we spoke about um oh bruce's band and i remember john saying how much he liked um the drummer max weinberg and i remember john sort of doing these um you can't see it but it's me uh-huh. trying to play the snare drum. He <laughs> just the timing of his snare just comes slightly off the beat. Uh,
3: yeah, it's playing yeah, If you think
2: player. of like born in the USA and all that, which I know was later, but um just he just got this, I mean he's a wonderful, wonderful drummer, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and he liked Clarence Clements, a sax player. And um yeah, and then it was it was just a, a chat and that was it, really. Um yeah. I can't, I wish I could give you more, but that's as simple as it was. Um, but it was great. But thank you very much for your contribution to the cancer charities. And uh, I can just tell you that Bruce was the nicest guy. I mean, he was just yeah. really, really great. And all the people who work with him say how nice he is, mm-hmm. supportive of the crew and stuff. And, and I met him again in LA, uh, I think the following year or something, uh, in a hotel. And... Um, and he recognised me, and he came up and said hello. I couldn't mm. couldn't believe it, you know. Oh, that's so awesome. um, yeah. No yeah. top
0: bloke, top yeah. bloke. So uh, yeah, blink scenes. Yeah. amazing. Uh, well, thank you, Alex. Thank again. you, Alex. Thanks, Alex. I'm sure, um, sure that I'm sure you you've got all you needed from that answer. Um, so, um, um, Peter, um, we want to sort of guess move kind of forward again um, to the Magic Tour. Um, you know, it, it's probably our least favourite Queen tour. As you, know, you know, on the podcast here. Um, but I know you'd retired um, after the works tour, you know, to focus on your photography and you were called back by the band um, and you accepted to come back for the for the Magic Tour. But you sort of alluded to it being slightly different when you came back, you know. Um, yeah. So what, what had changed for you then, Peter, with, 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 on that last tour?
2: I, I think, I mean, the Magic Tour was m- mainly outdoor shows, uh, summer tour, and it was the biggest tour of Europe the Queen had ever done. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of audiences and venues, and obviously it was buoyed by Live Aid, you know. Sure. Um,
1: yeah.
2: It was uh, uh, clearly uh, them back up, you know, in in the public uh, public eye and and everyone wanting to see Queen do Live Aid, if you sure. like. Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know it, it
2: certainly wasn't that the Magic album was so wonderful; everyone wanted to come and see them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the fact that people realizing what a great live band they were. So, yeah, yeah. so it was big. And I think it was also, um, you know, a little bit of a watershed time in the business sponsors had started to come in, um, yeah. and sponsor tours. I think we had Harp Lager. It was um, mm-hmm. a sponsor and a few other, um, people. And, um, so it was becoming a little bit more corporate and, um, the stages were bigger and the gigs were bigger, but there were a lot more people around and on the, all the other tours, you pretty much knew every single person who was on the tour, yeah. you know, knew, knew their name and they knew you. Um, but on that tour, it was like, who's this with a, you know, accessible area pass. I'm yeah. never sit half these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of people, you know, wandering around with clipboards, trying to be important, and um, it had lost a little bit of, I think, of that camaraderie and that um,
3: uh,
2: intimacy, you know, sure. that you have
3: yeah with the... yeah family absolutely sort of fate, yeah.
2: Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the band played well, you know, and they did some great shows, but then they played well and done great shows all the way through their career. Um, I think the lighting rig was mm-hmm. absolute crap. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was just a lot of lights. I mean, it yeah. looked like a fucking Christmas tree, you know. <laughs> it wasn't a Queen lighting rig, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I saw some film of um, uh, them at the O2 the other night mm-hmm. with Adam Lambert. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they've got this crown thing that, you know, comes up and does all... And, I mean, it looks stunning. Yeah. And that's yeah. a Queen show. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. on the Magic Tour... It didn't do anything, you know. I mean, yeah. the pizza oven, you know, the red, white, and green, and it flipped up, and yeah. and it was, yeah. it had an identity. And then the game tour with all the fly swatters, as they called them, mm-hmm. and and the works, of course, which I think was was probably the best live stage set. Um, they did things. Uh, this was just lots of lights, and uh, yeah, there was a few walkways, and Fred could prance up. This way and that. But
4: mm-hmm.
2: I just thought it was really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so just reasons like that, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously, it was great because it was another tour with Fred. And mm-hmm. Interestingly, one that most people seem to remember because when so many people associate Fred, it's with the yellow jacket and the white. Dress.
3: Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Yep, 100%. And uh,
2: yeah. a friend of mine actually has that outfit.
3: Mm. Um, wow excellent she bought wow. it
2: at auction uh, Jim Hutton put it into auction um, uh, some years after Freddie died because Freddie gave him things and um, she's had it conserved professionally by these you know people who conserve uh, very old fabrics and that mm. because you know it won't last forever I mean she's a serious collector and she has the bass drum head from Live Aid and um, all manner of wow. things um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what people sort of... I mean, whenever you look online and you see dolls or you see all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. with Fred, and it's the yellow jacket and the white trousers. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it's become synonymous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was it was fine. I mean, um, it was similar crew. I mean, the, the close crew was, yeah, pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, it had just become a little bit corporate and two things yeah. going on and, um, yeah, um, yeah, not not what it had been in the past. And I think, uh, and then, of course, things changed completely. Now it's totally corporate. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. I mean, that's really the really thing, clear. Peter. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting you comment on what I'm about <laughs> to say here, but for us, us three... Um, I think that really comes across even in the performance um and, and the in and the shows it, it seems more corporate even just in the in the it's yeah. not to say that queen were you know um performing just for the money and just it, we don't well, think uh, that you know we don't think that at all but there, there was just something very different about the footage of that tour it just seemed yeah yeah list was very was very, safe. very, safe, very yeah, safe yeah yeah, yeah I mean I
2: think the other thing is that Um, On that tour, I mean, we didn't do very many shows um, back-to-back because of Fred's voice, you know? Of course, Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, over the career, you know, things got pared back a little bit because of Fred's voice, because Mm -hmm. uh, he did struggle with it, you know? And and maybe the set list reflected that. I mean, I know some nights certain songs would be cut because he thought, well, I can't hit those notes yeah. uh, or singing that song yeah. is going to fuck mm-hmm. me for the next half.
3: Yeah, or interesting, right? yeah. Um, yeah.
2: But, yeah, I mean, I would never, ever accuse them of, um, you know, not going out to play or Absolutely. To just... Absolutely,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. You
2: know, never, ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Fred always gave us all. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. All
2: oh, four yeah. of them did, yeah. uh, yeah. there's no question. But um, I think it just became very... 80s, you know. Um,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that's Say a perfect that way to put kind of, it. Yeah, um,
2: thing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, of course, I'm glad that I did it. And yeah, um, yeah. but certainly, I felt at Nebworth, I felt that was it. Um, mm. Even though uh, there was no official announcement, it was just awesome. a vibe. Um, I just thought, I don't think they'll ever do this again, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there were murmurings from Fred. um, And then I think afterwards he said, no, he he didn't want to tour again. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: As I mentioned earlier, I know Jerry had got shows in America, um, you know, potentially penciled in if they thought, oh, this is great. Well, let's go and do a few. Maybe they could start to break America again, of course. Fred's illness was, uh, you know, not long uh, coming after that. And, um,
3: Mm.
2: yeah, whether he knew, who knows. Uh, There's a lot of conjecture about that. But, I mean, also the fact that the guy was almost 40. I mean, his 40th birthday was just after the end of the tour. I remember going to the party and, you know, and he he used to smoke. He used to, you know... Drink vodka, do various other things weren't very good for him. Yeah. And yet he could run around on stage like that. You know, he's yeah. you
3: know, yes. amazingly better fat. Better than you know,
2: any of the crew. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it takes its toll. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure he would have continued and done some creative things, but he wouldn't have pranced around in a leotard, that's for sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, he said as much. Yeah.
2: I think he would have done. Maybe uh, you know soundtracks, mo- movie soundtracks. Yeah, Other projects with other artists. Mm-hmm. I could have seen him in later life doing maybe a a cover of classics, you know, like Sinatra cover, yeah,
4: those, yeah, you know, yeah.
2: with a piano or something. But or he would have painted, or he would have designed things. Yeah. But whatever he would have done, yeah. it would have been creative. Uh, oh it yeah, would have been something, you know, to. Yeah. Yeah, uh, fulfil himself and what he wanted. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, he did the Montserrat Caballé thing, which yeah. was great, and, uh-huh. and I know how much that meant to him. Um, yeah. yeah. Maybe some producing, whatever, but yeah. uh, he would have never become, I think, a, a sort of parody of himself.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: would yeah. always want to be. Uh, and if he, could, if he to, yeah. felt he couldn't do it, then he wouldn't do it. You know.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. So I think he was. Very true to himself, like that.
0: Yeah, indeed. No. Um, So, Peter, you've talked about um, there was a a few bands trying to poach you um, when you you were a queen, you know, to get you to come over to to work for them. Was was there any? Can you reveal any of those bands, or can you talk about that anyway?
2: I I, I think it would be ungallant to to do. I mean, I had some big bands. Yeah, I mean. I mean, Thin Lizzy, after Thin Lizzy toured with Queen, they wanted me and Chris to sort of go and work for her. Um, we actually had a meeting with them, but it was uh, not really going to be. But I had, personally, I had several other big touring bands who uh, wanted me to to go. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I stayed loyal and, um, yeah. yeah, I'm glad that I did. I mean, I'd worked with other bands, so sure. it wasn't as if, I didn't know what it was like, but, Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it either didn't feel right or whatever. So, um, but no, it's nice to be, you know, um, looked at in that way and. and Absolutely. Respected enough that (laughs) people would want you to to do that. Um, Yeah. So but I, I wouldn't do it anymore, you know. I don't think I, <laughs> no. I don't even to touch it these days. You know? yeah. So, yeah.
0: But that's yeah. a that's a testament to obviously how, how great you were at your job and even even the fact that Queen did ask you back for the magic tour that you know, they you know, you obviously were exceptional at what you did.
2: Well, I think what happened was um, you know, I'd left to become a photographer and I'd told the band and um they were all very surprised. And then it was mm-hmm. like, um, Oh, well, you know, we'll give you more money. We'll sort it all. I said, no, no, it's not about money. It's yeah. about me wanting to do something else for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, more money is always nice, but it's, it's not that I'm not leaving because uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get you to give me more money. I'm yeah. leaving because I, I decide I'm you know going to be 30 soon. And I want to, <laughs> Uh, you know, have a change in my life, and Mm -hmm. this has been great, but I want to be creative, and I want, you know, to be able to do something that satisfies me.
3: Um, Absolutely, yeah.
2: So, and to be fair, you know, they respected that. I mean, Fred, uh, it was very difficult to talk to him about it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I tried to sit down with him and, oh, don't worry, dear, later, later, we'll chat. No, I understand. And it was very difficult because he often did that. He put his hand in the sand when he yeah, saw yeah, yeah. And then one day it was just like he said. So you're leaving then, I? And I said, Well, yeah, you know, Fred. Right. Okay then. Oh, right. Okay. But I, I know you. I know you'll be as professional as ever. I said, Well, of course I will. You know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm glad that I did it in that way. Whereas I know that other guys uh, walked away. Uh, some got fired. Whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm glad that I did. You know um did it the way I did. And um, yeah but when it came round to the magic tour, I think all of the band took took it for granted, well, rachel will come out on tour with us again. And it was sort oh, like, really oh, ah well um, yeah. oh, no and it it had all been set up that I was going to do it. And then um I met with Jerry Stickles and I said, well, no, I'm not gonna do it. You know, I mean I can't keep Coming back, I can't Mm. keep otherwise, I'm never going to get any rhythm going, you know. Yeah, exactly.
3: And I'm
2: trying to, you know, get clients, I'm going out of my portfolio, hustling, trying to get some work. It's yeah, it's not easy, but if I come out on tour, I lose that momentum and I have to almost kind of, yeah, starting to get. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they were quite surprised. And then Freddie said, oh, oh, so they're going to get... they'll We'll get new people in or something. And Fred said, yeah, but you'll come to rehearsals and you'll brief them and all that, and you'll Mm -hmm. even talk to some of the shows. I'm like, well, yeah, but but to view, you know. Um, But, yeah, I'll come to rehearsals and you can pay me a consultancy, you know, because, you know, I I need to make money. I'm freelance now. And um, so I think that was it, but it was... It was when I was hanging out with Billy Squire in London. He was over and I was helping him out doing some stuff he was recording and, and he was paying me. And it was good because I needed some money because the photography business had been expensive to set up. And mm. you know, there was only little scraps of work and you know, you got to invest a lot. And um, and then we'd been hanging out with Fred, and then Fred came and rewrote. <laughs> Billy's songs and <laughs> <laughs> a couple of great tracks together <clears throat> and um, and so I was seeing a lot of him again and that was great but you could tell he wasn't happy and um, <laughs> and other people had said he's really not happy, you know, you're not going to be on the tour and, yeah. this, oh God, you know. and then it was a kind of emotional arm twisting from him mm-hmm. and I remember uh, be, we were up all night at his place and playing stuff uh, with Billy, and I think Billy said to me, he said, I, th- I think you should do this, you know, and I, went, oh, I don't know. And then Terry, who was Fred's driver and bodyguard, and he was telling me, oh, you know, Fred's not very happy about it, and he d- doesn't feel confident, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we went out for an Indian meal one night, um, and it was a place Billy liked in, in Notting Hill, and Fred, like this Indian food. Mm -hmm. And we were there and I just thought, okay, anyway. Uh, And Terry and Billy had gone off to the loo or something. And i was just there with Fred and I just said, okay, Fred, I'll do your tour for you. And he was, oh, thank you. He said, you can have anything you want, anything. (laughs) You know, I'll do it and I'll be paid, you know, freelance rates. But that's it. And, um, and of course, I'm really pleased that I did it. Um, Yeah. Uh, for those reasons, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, uh, it's just again timing, you know. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. maybe if those Billy wasn't there, I wouldn't have been hanging out and I wouldn't have done it, but
0: yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just... You can only
2: live in the here and now and uh, and try and plan for the future, so <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: very yeah. true,
0: indeed. Uh, indeed. We know your thoughts on the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. Given the, given the, the movie that came out and uh, the movie that it is, with that in mind, if you'd been asked to be a consultant on that movie, would you have accepted?
2: Yeah, I mean, the movie, um, well, what can you say? I think we all know, um, well, anyone who has a decent knowledge of Queen knows it's a Hollywood movie. Uh,
3: yeah. yeah. It,
2: it uh, represent. sorry, it doesn't represent anything like the truth. <laughs> um, but it's Hollywood and yeah, yeah. you can't mm-hmm. argue with a billion dollars so at the bottom Very true. Very true. so it, it is what it is um, yeah. and you mentioned if I'd been asked to be a consultant would I have uh, done it well of course if they paid me and they'd said well you know he is a good freelance rate Yeah. but I don't know why um, they didn't well it's not that I have an issue with it personally but I don't know why they didn't Actually, ask anybody who was there at the time,
3: and they know. Yeah, probably because maybe scared off. Uh, they like seem to have, yeah.
2: I think the official <laughs> yeah. consultant was a tabloid journalist who'd written um, yeah. a book on Freddie and a book about Queen or something. Yeah.
3: So whether that person was the expert, I guess. But yeah, yeah. that's it. That says it all. I was going to say there that they probably didn't want people like yourself because they they know that you would be stopping them. Constantly saying, well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Maybe, maybe so. Yeah, um, yeah. I know Mac was um, interviewed
2: or spoken to with uh, Peter Morgan, who did the original screenplays, mm. um, which I know were very... I mean, I know that the screenplay that, that he came up with, and it's very different to what the end thing was. Sure. Um, and uh, in the end, I think he got very pissed off and actually told them to fuck off because... Yeah. He felt that uh, whoever was in charge of it didn't understand film and, Mm. uh, you know, story arcs and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think -hmm. think we all know that they tried to cram in everything into, uh, you know, a two-hour film and tick this box, tick that box. But it's the music that carries it. And um yeah. the quality, the sound quality in the cinema was was
3: pretty. Oh yeah, yeah well that was yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah That's, that, that mm. was
2: but you know, as a piece of film, um yeah, it's Hollywood, it's throwaway,
3: isn't yeah. it? I mean, um absolutely. Yeah.
2: The guy who plays um Brian, I think did a, an excellent job.
3: Oh, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah, that he's good. amazing. He's good, yeah. I think
2: he was very good. Yeah. Um I think Rami Malik uh, I think it was always going to be difficult, mm. but I think the main thing is because he doesn't really look anything like Fred, yeah. and um, yeah. he's quite small. I mean, Fred was quite small, but I mean, stocky. It just doesn't have that presence. And yeah,
3: absolutely.
2: I never felt in during the film uh, watching it thinking that's Freddie Mercury there. Sure. I thought that's a bloke who's an actor. Mm-hmm trying to play Fred um yeah, yeah. he didn't yeah. laugh once whereas yeah Fred yeah laughed all the time yeah. he didn't have that infectious giggle didn't have Fred's mannerisms mm-hmm. a couple of times on the stage stuff he, he you know threw a few moves and I thought wow yeah and I know he had someone teaching him all that stuff and sure. yeah it's okay but apart from that when he was speaking I never ever felt that it was Freddie. I, yeah. I'm sorry, I yeah. just didn't. Whereas, you know, with Rocket Man, uh, I I, I just excellent. thought that's Elton John,
3: you know, yeah. and yeah. it
2: really yeah. felt that's yeah. Elton John. Yep. And um, interestingly, the guy who came in at the end and finished off Bohemian you know, Rhapsody, the director, he directed Rock.
1: Oh yeah, Dexter yeah. Fletcher. So,
2: that's yeah. right. So maybe if he'd yeah. done
1: yeah.
2: all of Bo Rap, it could have been. Yeah, but maybe great. you know, there's other factors involved. Yeah, directors' hands were tied. You don't know, Hollywood's a strange yeah. machine. There's all kinds of politics and whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I thought Rocket Man was a tremendous film.
1: Ah, uh, no, it's like a great it movie, I, yeah.
2: and yeah. walk the line. And, um, yeah. you, yeah, get it from you totally believe, you know, Yakuin
3: Waka- yeah. Phoenix, yeah, is yeah,
2: is Johnny Cash, you know.
3: Totally, yeah. Uh, so
2: it can be done, but um, but hey, say you can't argue with a billion dollars. So
4: <laughs> there you
2: go. And the guy who plays me, he's not bad. <laughs> Shorts are not tight enough.
5: <laughs> the, wigs, the wig's
2: a bit dodgy and of course apparently Johnny Depp was busy otherwise you know <laughs> Johnny Depp he, roll, and he said I want to play a real rock and roll part and they said you can play Ratty at live <laughs> he was really up for it but <laughs> it's, uh, it's that thing about timing again.
3: That's it? That, That's exactly. That's it. no, I bet yeah. it, you it. Know, so. <laughs> absolutely. That'd be a
2: career-defining
3: career moment <laughs> for, him, for
2: him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. He, he would have got an Oscar for that. I
3: absolutely. think he would have. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: just yeah. finally, Peter, your photography. Um, I think we. I can speak for all three of us. Um, we genuinely. It's genuinely some of our favorite images of the band oh, that, yeah. that you've captured. Yeah. Um, there's just something about them that we don't see in other other images of the band and yeah. um, they, they're, they're beautiful images and I just wondered if there's any particular favourites that you have, I know there's the very famous one of Fred with uh you know, Lager which is a, 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 probably my favourite picture of Freddie Yeah, mine's yeah. as well,
2: yeah Yeah, I mean, well you're all very kind and um, yeah, uh, various other people, um, I think your, your listeners have said very nice things about my photography. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's something that evolved. um, And I kind of learnt, in a way, over the years I was with Queen, you know, to be a photographer, Um, Mm -hmm. not just taking pictures of them, but, you know, being on tour, travelling and all that. And it was the fact that, oh, Ratty, you've got a camera, take some pictures. Mm -hmm. And because it was me, they never felt threatened. And um, they knew that I wasn't going to take anything untoward or catch them with their trousers down so to speak Mm -hmm. um and also because they saw all the pictures so they could edit them you know chuck them whatever. and you know it's quite an intimidating thing having a camera with a long lens pointed at you um Mm -hmm. so you can understand why people tense up a little bit i know it's Mm -hmm. part of the game when you're famous however um it is something I think that a lot of people aren't necessarily comfortable with mm. when it's like one of your family, you know, and you're goofing around and get the camera and then you go, Hey, you know, yeah. Yeah, and you do yeah. things. Relaxing. And I think it was that relationship that, that allowed me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, at times I would direct them. Um, and you know, you could get me to do different things. Um, of course, I wish I'd taken so many others and thought that would have been a great time, but hey, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I've got the archive, and um, actually next year there should be a photo book coming out. Um Ooh, lovely. And it'll awesome. be obviously my pictures of the band, but also, you know, pictures um, of, say, some of the gigs, mm-hmm. of stage passes, itineraries, you know, a picture of New York as it was in the eighties. You know, um, lovely.
3: Totally different. Sort of,
2: you know, balance up things um, like the Rockefeller um, Center in New York, which is where uh, they played Saturday Night Live. So, yeah,
3: yeah. and then
2: I've got i got the running order of Saturday Night Live. So,
3: oh, yeah, cool. so all
2: kind of things that you know, Queen fans will hopefully like. But then other music fans might think, well, that's really interesting. You yeah. know, and like. Uh, I don't know, sort of midwinter truck stops, you know, in America mm-hmm. in the 1970s, and just yeah. those kind of evocative images to give cool. you, yeah. as I did in my book when I wrote about these things, you know, mm-hmm. trying to take you on that journey and, and kind of give an insight into what it was really like, you know, and all the madness mm-hmm. and that. But, you know, through the images to, to make it, um, I don't know, uh, Give it some authenticity somehow, sure. sure. Um, yeah, no, so yeah. you know, you can via osmosis or whatever you can get <laughs> yeah, it, just into, connect.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, yeah, yeah, into that vibe. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, so that will be interesting. Um, and the picture of Fred with the beer, yeah, the Augustina, and after my show in Munich in November, I mean, it's just gone crazy.
3: I mean, it's just been
2: astonishing mm-hmm. and Augustina themselves now want um, one for their boardroom and uh,
3: oh, no, but oh, uh, and
2: they are actually their 50% family and 50% charitable foundation um, nice. or 49 and 51 or something like that and they actually don't advertise, they do no advertising at all um, because wow. they're so famous in Munich uh, but they want to put um, uh, I think but well, the idea is to put it in there. Um, they own so much property. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they own the property where the Sugar Shack Club in Munich was, and they own uh, right. that whole block. But they own so much stuff, and they have bars and clubs all over. And I think they wanted to put, you know, some of the images up there. And the city of Munich want to have in their museum uh, queen in Munich uh, for their archives. So at the moment, we're discussing all that. But The prints, I mean, have just been, I mean, just astonishing. Um, yeah, Stephen Hoffman, uh, at Gallery Hoffman, I mean, he's just been amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, up to 50 by 50, you know, which it looks, wow. it looks amazing. I mean, yeah. my partner who's from Munich, I mean, she said, uh, you know, she's not a big Queen fan. I mean, she knew the band. I mean, we met in 1979 when we first went there. Mm-hmm. And um, so she met the band. She was in the studio every now and again. She used to babysit for Mac for his kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're still very close with Mac. And she's close with his, his, his wife. And whenever I'm in Munich, we get together. And she said, um, I'm not really a Queen fan. She said, but when I saw that picture of Freddie with a beer, big she said, "Wow, I'd want to have that on my wall." So, yeah, yeah, it's
3: an awesome, yeah. It's an awesome and pair, I mean, so when it gets bigger, so it looks, levels. it
2: does look even better. So um, the mm-hmm. texture of his leather jacket and his hair and the zip and yeah, so that was a fortuitous moment in time because I didn't say, mm-hmm. "Fred, hold the beer and hold it so we can see the Augustina label." You know,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, that mm-hmm. was just, just, just the way
2: it happened.
1: That yeah. was just. Uh, on, on- Another one of those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another one of those yeah. very
2: fortunate moments. So, yeah, yeah uh, it's, they're still selling very well. And yeah, it's, it's just very gratifying that people want that, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, that, that would be one of my favorites. Um, and uh, what else? Um, the one, there's a shot I did where um, I put a camera in the lighting rig and I fired it from overhead and you can see all the band below. I think I did it in Japan, but um, not sure if that was in any shows, but I like those a lot. They give yeah. a different perspective, and you see the audience as well. Mm-hmm. And when you take it up really big, you can see all kinds of detail. Um, Amazing. And, and it was my idea to do it, to set the camera up and fire it via remote control with a really wide lens. So, yeah, that gives me a lot of satisfaction. Um, shot with Roger with the drum sticker on his head. Oh uh, yeah,
0: that's, that's a, I really yeah. like
2: that, and I wish—I <laughs> suppose—I'd love to have got all of them because those stickers—they just went on the equipment cases, you
1: know.
2: Mm-hmm. So guitar, bass, drums, yeah. and piano, and I'd love to have had all four of them with the stickers. Is...
3: That would have been <laughs> yeah. hey,
2: You can't have everything, can you? Yeah, dude.
4: Hi there, Mr. Hens, Peter. Ratty, isn't it? It is really. You always be a ratty. Um I don't have a question. Just wanted to say thank you. Um for, for doing the job you did, for being grease in the wheels of the Queen Machine, for doing your job to the best of your abilities, which left those four guys able to do their job to the best of their abilities, which in result Made my life better and the life of millions of Queen fans around the world, I'm sure also. Uh, thank you for coming on this podcast as well. These guys are brilliant. Um, they're Queen fans. They get it. They're, they, they, they are proper, proper heartfelt fans. And we are all the same as listeners out here that, that, that get involved with them. They've built a brilliant sense of community out in the world. They made Twitter a better place for goodness sake. So thank you for coming on here as well. Um, and that's it. So, Thanks, man. Really, really appreciate the work you did. Thanks for doing what you did. Thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for being you. Um, And, uh, yeah, thanks for helping make the world a better place. You know, normally people can lay direct claim to that, so pass off to you. Cheers, man.
2: Yeah, well, uh, Leighton, thank you very much. You were were very generous, very kind. I mean, I'm embarrassed by your your, your (laughs) generous words, but thank
0: you. Thank you so much, Peter. Honestly, uh, again, thank you very
2: much. And um, uh, thank you to all your listeners. And um, yeah, thank you all for buying my book and buying prints and that. It's much appreciated and very gratifying. And uh, yeah, I think we can do something again, as as we mentioned, and I can, you know, get a print to somebody or whatever. Awesome. Um, Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, all the best to everyone and stay well.
0: So that was Mister Peter Hintz, Um and he, he gave us a lot more time than, than I thought he was going to give us. So that is absolutely brilliant. Um, gave us two hours worth of chat there, you know, and, and some some great stories, some interesting wee things that, that you know, yeah. I, I, you yeah. know I, didn't, I didn't know about, you know, um, even Queen having dates booked in the in the states. I know that's states, really uh, cool. really interesting yeah. fact, yeah. you know, even after after the Magic Tourist, Ed, you know, so mm. quite interesting these little little nuggets. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed that, guys. And yeah, so, he's a really, really nice guy, man. I, I I mean, I a mean, good man. I mean, just letting the man speak. I mean, it's just like, you know, there's no yeah. point in us um, interrupting, you know, so he's um, more interesting than us, so there's no point us. Yeah, definitely. You're not one to listen to our shit. Yeah, You're to listen it. To Mr. Peter Hens. Absolutely, um, the man in the know. Indeed. And I I think we've said it quite a lot already, but thank you to everyone who has donated Um, to make this a possibility. Um, I really, really, we really appreciate it. Sorry. And as we said at the start of the episode, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please donate to the Macmillan Cancer Support page, the Just Given page that we have set up. If you're able to, that would be fantastic. Thank you very much. So yeah, I hope you got a lot out of that. I hope you get got as much out of it as we did. So thanks again for listening, and look uh, after yourselves, everybody. Peace. Bye. Bye.